0: Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us again. Before we jump into today's episode, Kim and I wanted to make sure that we included a little editor's note here at the beginning of the episode. In today's episode, we discuss our first listener question and our response. And the question is fabulous. The question is, how were you, Janine, paying for all of these rehabs as you were going in and out, which is a great question because the ability to get into a facility that you can afford and get to Is one of the biggest hindrances, roadblocks to getting clean and sober. It can be a challenging thing to do. So, you'll hear my answer as someone that didn't have insurance. But I want to start this by saying if you are lucky enough to have insurance and you are thinking about getting clean and sober, we would say jump on that now while you have the ability to get there. Call facilities in your area, see if they accept your insurance. If they don't, they may scholarship you. That would be the best way to start after that and we decided not to edit the first half of the episode even though it's a bit convoluted because the reality is getting into a facility can be convoluted the best way of getting into a facility is to call around in your area see if there are any local county funded programs and if those county funded programs would potentially allow you to bring in a medication like suboxone something like that sometimes that's an option So if you have any questions to a little more specific, I am certainly here to help and I've navigated this road, which you will hear in a variety of different ways. I never did it the easy way with insurance, but I, you know, had to take money from other people. I had to sell things And eventually I was in the system long enough. I knew someone that did me a favor and got me into a county funded program. I had to take all sorts of crazy avenues. Bottom line is once you start headed down that direction, do everything that you can in your power to try to make that happen and reach out to me if you want any assistance. Enjoy the episode and thank you guys so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Chasing Heroin on this day. My name is Janine. Sorry. <laughs> I
1: didn't know I was I going to I want to leave
0: that thing. in. I think we should leave that <laughs> in so that you guys hear the behind the scenes. Also, to be fair, I just suddenly quit talking, which is rare. I
2: thought Janine was going to do her spiel of... I felt I'm like I was I- going to do my
0: spiel. It sounded like I was going to do my... like You know what? She Start did. over and I'm going to do my Sorry. spiel. But I'm not. I'm not taking that out. <laughs> I'm not taking it out. I want you guys to hear yeah, the real deal. Just
1: starting over. All right. Okay. What's
0: <laughs> up, guys? <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Chasing Heroin on this day. Uh, yeah. Like I said, my name's Janine. I'm an alcoholic addict in recovery. My sobriety date is January 15th, 2015.
2: My name's Kimberly. I'm a marriage and family therapist
0: and Janine's friend. Yes. And my <laughs> friend. That was funny. I'm leaving it in there. Oh, good. Um, oh, hey. You know what I want to do before we get started? We have our first listener question. And it's a oh, great good. question. And she DM'd me a really, really good question that we should talk about, which was, How were you paying for all of this rehab? Did somebody pay for you to go? Yeah. And that's a really good question because the primary reason why somebody doesn't get clean and sober is because they can't freaking get into rehab. Mm-hmm. And that was my constant struggle. There were actually I mean, there were years when I wanted to get clean but couldn't afford to go to a rehab. Mm-hmm. So here was the story for me. My parents did give me one nice, good shot. So the first time I went to rehab, it was paid for by my parents. And I'm Mm -hmm. very, 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 very lucky for that. So I was, I believe, 32 or... uh, No, I was 31 because I turned 32 in rehab. I was 31 and somebody had got my dad hip to what was going on. And when my dad found out that I was doing heroin, Mm -hmm. that story was over for me. Mm -hmm. And just... For whatever reason, my dynamic with my dad, our relationship, once he gets involved, I usually stop whatever madness it is that I'm doing, and this has been a trend in my life that has fortunately saved my life. Mm -hmm. So somebody told him what was going on, and I was always desperate for people to not tell him because I thought I would get it together on my own, but somebody finally got my dad wise to what was going on.
1: Okay.
0: And that's a whole other story that we should get into in February of that Mm -hmm. year, you know, the conversation that we had, but... Anyways, he got me on the phone, and it was over. It was up. And they were kind enough. And this, and this for me, is, is, is I understand, a rare situation. Most people don't get to do what I'm about to say I got to do. Yeah. They, I told them I couldn't get clean and sober because I didn't want to do it without Suboxone. Okay. And if you're listening to this, because I've got a lot of family members listening to this, I feel like more so than addicts at this point, actually, as mm-hmm. family members of addicts. That's not bullshit. That's not a lie. The fear of being sick from kicking heroin mm-hmm. is legit. And a lot of times I think people are like, oh, you know, you, you feel like we're lying to you at that point, and, mm-hmm. and, and that is understandable because I'm sure the addict in your life has lied to you a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The fear of being dope sick is I can feel it in my body right now. It is the scariest thing in the world, and it prevents most people from going to a detox that is not medicated. And the free county-run detoxes are not medicated. It's okay, a so mat on the, the floor difference. where you go get sick. Yes. I get it.
2: So suboxin, it allows you to detox... In less pain. In less pain. Yes. And then is the
0: goal to ultimately get off Suboxone or not always? Yes. Okay. And I think I got into that with my last, with our last episode. At this detox I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. their goal was actually just to leave me on Suboxone, which is why when I got to that second rehab, I was confused when the guy didn't let me in with Suboxone because Mm -hmm. that the detox facility I was coming from in San Diego, they had given me a prescription for Suboxone. I left with a a prescription for Suboxone. Mm -hmm. And at some of the more expensive high-end places, they'll leave you on medication forever. And I actually disagree with that personally. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's harm reduction because you get really strung out on Suboxone. If you ever can't get your Suboxone, Mm -hmm. it's like you're dope sick from heroin. It's the same thing. In fact, many people would argue that it's worse. So at Choices, they had us on a five-day taper. Mm-hmm. Most places will put you on a five-day taper. Most places are not trying to get you on a prescription for subs. Okay. I'm, I'm surprised to this day that this place gave me a prescription for Suboxone. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I know a lot of people that that's happened with. Okay. So my one of the re- you know so there was this confusing time in the beginning where my parents were like we need to get you into rehab and i'm like no 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 i don't want to go i'm scared i'm scared i'm scared why are you scared i'm scared cuz i'm gonna get sick and so when i explained to my parents i need to go somewhere where they have medication or else i'm not going mm-hmm. and again also knowing my parents and you kind of know my parents i'm really surprised that they went for that they must have been very scared because mm-hmm. They are very, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstrap background kind of people, Mm -hmm. but they were scared enough that they said, okay, okay. So my mother, bless my mother, found a detox facility and she paid cash because she didn't want a record of me having had been heroin addict. And now here I am doing a podcast. On Spotify <laughs> and Apple Music. She was deathly afraid, and I was too. I was deathly afraid that it was going to get out. Oh, I'm sure
2: I can imagine. I mean, people don't want to just pay for, like, therapy. I mean, go with right. your insurance. Just therapy for depression or anxiety right. exactly, or whatever. So exactly. I can only imagine that. It, yeah. It had to be terrifying of, like,
0: this is going to follow me forever. Forever. <laughs> forever. Yeah. And also why I'm doing this podcast though I'm okay with it following me forever for Mm -hmm. a variety of reasons now but of course I did not feel that way back then yeah and I'm not even necessarily advocating that for the rest of the world right if you work at like a bank Mm -hmm. you know you might not want to let everybody know that you were you know obviously it all depends I feel very fortunate now that I can you know that I can express everything that happened but as you guys know in the back of my mind I'm always a little worried Mm -hmm. you know like what if this does come back at some point but whatever so but they did make it very clear okay so so they paid a bunch of money for me to go to a detoxist for six days and they made it very clear that they were never doing this again
1: mm-hmm. never
0: never 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 and they held good on that promise for a, a while mm-hmm. um but they did agree to send me to this detox facility if i would go and again like i said that's a whole other story i tried to jump out of the car on the way there mm-hmm. my mom had to call my dad and he quoted a song lyric
1: mm-hmm.
0: he quoted a jackson brown song lyric you know i'm about classic rock music and I stopped what I was doing, and I stayed, and I went. That's the power of my dad. He can like quote music to me, and I'll just be like, okay. You know? <laughs> and my mom's like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's like giving me her soul, and I'm like, forget yeah. it. Like, I don't oh. want to
2: hear a song lyric. <laughs> yeah, and then I go with my dad in 30 seconds, and I'm like, fine, I'll go. <laughs>
0: poor mom, poor my mom. I know multiple people are asking for her to be on the show, so we got to bring her on the show. Oh yeah. FYI, to this, I adore my mother. She's like the angel of my life. I'm joking about this and she also thinks it's kind of funny a little and y'all and you know i'm sure you guys out there know that that you know dynamics happen with parents and kids whatever but so they agreed to pay for this first one um i went you have to go 24 hours without any heroin before you can take a suboxone now so you're starting
2: to feel sick oh yeah you get <laughs> sick
0: for an now you, you I, I eventually figured out i could go 19 hours and then take one okay but if you take it too early mm-hmm. it is worse you get sicker oh my god yes like oh, wow. i did that once on accident mm-hmm. and i thought i was gonna die is was, that what it feels like like you, just ultimate pain and yeah like, like, just brutal you want to die yeah. like you would rather die in that moment it's horrible it's horrible feeling it feels like my sponsor described it once as it feels like your spine was like being wrenched in half oh, man. like being pulled apart mm-hmm. it's like getting hit by a truck yeah for three days in a row or however long and the kicks last longer So over time, like Mm -hmm. this last one, I didn't sleep for a while, a month or something
1: Mm -hmm.
0: while I was teaching here. So anyways, they agreed to pay for this one nice detox. So I went, did the detox, and then they kept paying for... That's when they moved me into residential treatment at Choices. Okay. And I was very, very, very lucky that that treatment was paid for. So that was the first one. After that... Uh, they refused to do it again because, of course, you guys have heard I was on Suboxone the whole time because they gave me that prescription getting out of the hospital. Yeah, And a lot of people didn't really believe that about at Choices, but, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. I had been given that prescription. They had still told me not to be on it. Mm-hmm. So the first one they paid for. The second time what happened was, well, although, okay, so my individual story doesn't matter. Here's the bottom line. Sometimes people pay for it for you. Sometimes the addict is in a position, rarely, if you're like me, where maybe you have some money or you have some savings. Uh The second time my mom agreed to put me in detox again... And my ex, the one Mm -hmm. that we've talked about here that I was using with, was supposed to pay her back. Okay. Once he got some money back from the Marine Corps, she had actually helped him get, he was owed a bunch of back pay. Mm -hmm. And she set him up with the VA to get this money. And he was getting a massive lump sum payment within like a matter of months. And he was supposed to pay her for my detox. He, of course, never did, but he was supposed to. So in that incident, she shelled it out also. Mm -hmm. While I was at that detox, I really wanted to stay. So I had a car that hadn't been running for a while because I hadn't had a license, I sold my jeep to pay for the rest of it. Okay. And then they let me go get a job pretty quickly and I got a job teaching right away and then they put me into a sober living that I was paying for myself. Okay. So, But then, so another time, like, there's another county program out here. So there are county programs that will pay for you, but there's usually a long wait list. That's what I wanted to ask. Is that then covered by, like, Medi-Cal or it's No, no, not usually. It's not usually covered by anything. So right now there's a free detox. And there's a long wait list for that one. Now, that one, they will allow you to bring your own medication, too. They don't provide it. But you can, like, buy Suboxone off the street Mm -hmm. and bring it. And I actually think that that's kind of cool that it does that because they don't require you to show the prescription. Mm -hmm. If you just show up with subs, they'll let you take them, illegal or not.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But this is all California. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happens elsewhere. Got it. So, but usually, again, if you're listening to this and you're a family member, I'm so torn because they are going to need help to detox. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is true but I'm also a firm believer that you don't give the addict anything and this is why it would be good to get my mom on here because where my mom finally got to with me because in the beginning she would kind of try to help me financially mm-hmm. like the, that first one where she eventually got to is she was she had very clear boundaries she paid for my phone mm-hmm. so that she would know where I was not for my benefit because my my dad even asked her once like you know why are you mm-hmm. why would you do that because they were both they're, they're divorced but they're they were on the same page in terms of not really helping me
1: mm-hmm.
0: and she told me later that she told him that that's not for her that's for me mm-hmm. i need to know where she is i can't live like not knowing where she is yeah so she paid for my phone and then if i was wanting to go to detox in that moment or go get help in that moment she would help me figure out how to get there in okay. that moment but not give me any other money like mm-hmm. i would see her and she would you know I, she'd maybe buy me a pack of cigarettes or something mm-hmm. but she wouldn't give me any money like if she saw me out like running around Oceanside. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the best way to run it, man. I saw this meme once that I thought was so perfect. If the addict in your life is happy with you, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you're probably doing the wrong thing. Mm. If the addict in your life is really mad at you, you're probably doing the right thing. Wow. And I think that that is true. Yeah. So. Which is probably so hard, like from somebody who loves
2: another person so much to realize that is how you help or how you help is giving them a ride to the detox, but It has to be really hard to see your child in pain or suffering, but not knowing is that money going to go to helping them or are
0: they going to use it to buy more drugs? Right. And and I would venture to say if you're handing them cash and they're walking away, Mm -hmm. it's going to drugs. I don't know anybody that wouldn't spend it on dope. Yeah. Unless you're dropping them off at the detox. Mm -hmm. And then they might leave with the money. Yeah. So anyways, so I I don't have a great answer for that question, but it is a good question. And for anybody out there that is wrestling with any of these issues the how do I pay for detox and rehab is a primary issue now some people still have insurance mm-hmm. and they're able to go um, I never did I never had health insurance okay.
2: so if you do have health insurance you
0: can go yes you said Medi-Cal got it I don't think Not Medi-Cal, Medi-Cal. Pays for any insurance. Got it. Okay. regular insurance mm-hmm. like Skylar has had insurance in the past that has paid got it the the place I do yoga for SERC, mm-hmm. all those guys have insurance okay. that's how they're there they do have a little bit of scholarshiping, mm-hmm. but most of those guys have insurance. So yes, I, I tend to only think in terms of dirt, poor, no help mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. But, like, but, I, but yeah, insurance pays for stuff. Yeah. I'm just never thinking about having regular insurance because I never do. Right, and also, I never did.
2: often, how would somebody have that if they're. Exactly, using that's what I mean. Homeless you, no, and, normally,
0: if you're a homeless person, you don't have insurance. And if you're a young adult, in order to be on your parents, you usually have to be in school, like things yes. like that. So that
2: makes sense. I yes. understand.
0: I've met a bunch of kids, though, whose parents have been lenient with them on that. Mm-hmm. Like a, a, several of people that you and I both know. Yeah. Their parents continued to pay for insurance for them, even if they weren't working, um, maybe in anticipation of this kind of thing. Got it. But my programs, the places I went. Also, you could, uh, parole would pay for places where I was. Okay. But I was not being, coming directly from prison.
2: Yeah. and but I worked. parole in, pays yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. I worked with, um, it was a while back, but parents who were at risk of or who had lost their children
0: temporarily to the system, like CPS. Yes. I think they will sometimes pay. They absolutely will. The second, the third place I went to. Mm-hmm. In Oceanside. That was exactly what it was. Yeah. But I I got to go there. I think I told you this. I got to go there because I knew the program manager. Mm -hmm. And even though I didn't have a child, she let me go anyways. Oh, wow. So that one I got to go to for free because I knew the program manager. Okay. But that was a welfare funded program mm-hmm. and I didn't have a CPS case there was two of us that didn't have CPS cases because we didn't have kids mm-hmm. and they were able to get us in and that was a long term free program actually yeah. and yes if you get a CPS case but again those are scenarios you don't want to be in to get into definitely rehab definitely not yeah you know Yeah. so it's 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 the primary issue that keeps mm-hmm. people using I need to go kick but I don't have any money I need to go detox but I don't know where to go
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I, I do think that the, the potential solution to that would be, I, you know, and I, I don't know enough about politics to know where funding like this would come from, mm-hmm. but a detox taper that was available for the average person and maybe you only get to do a certain number of times yeah. and you're, you've run up your time. Mm-hmm. You know, like how they have EBT, how they have food stamps. right? Maybe a program of Suboxone harm reduction. Mm-hmm. There's another one called Subutec that's a little cheaper. I mean, there are harm reduction medications out there. Now they do also have, this is another thing that I tried, You can try to taper off with methadone. And methadone taper is about $15 a day. Okay. And it's a 28-day taper. But I have never met a single human in my life. If you're listening to this and you have done this detox successfully, let me know. Mm. I've never met a human being in my life that successfully completed a methadone detox program, including me. Because you mean then you end up going back? Oh, it's too hard. No, and getting off methadone is so painful. Um, I've gotten on heroin to get off methadone. Wow twice actually because i was like this is you know i passed out in the front yard of my Mm -hmm. uh, ex's house because i was in so much pain from trying to kick methadone wow yeah so
2: okay
0: anyways i I feel like that was a that was a uh, jumbled answer to your question but again i guess the bottom line of this is there is no easy answer on to the question of how do i pay for rehab so if you do know someone who maybe needs some help, I think the way that my parents did it is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Let them know you've got one shot mm-hmm. if you happen to have the resources. I can help you this one time and that is it and then you gotta hold to your word. Because I did end up selling everything I had the second time because yeah. they meant it. Mm-hmm. They were and because my mother wasn't gonna do it. Uh, what's-his-face was supposed to pay her back. Mm-hmm. Right. They just never did. Yeah. You know, but again, I'm lucky. My mother had those resources. Mm -hmm. My so many people don't have that. Yeah. So many people don't have that. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's tough. Definitely. It's hard. It's probably the hardest thing about this opiate epidemic is getting people off the dope.
2: Yeah. Oh, man.
0: Now, in the end, I kicked with nothing. Mm -hmm. Right? That last time. Mm -hmm. I drank through it. But I did drink. Yeah. I, I, like, wouldn't, I wouldn't have just stayed, huh? I was like, did that help
2: you not get sick, though?
0: Um, I would drink until I just, like, black oh, okay. out. okay. But in a rehab facility, you're not going to be allowed to do that, obviously. <laughs> I was at my buddy's house mm-hmm. watching Game of Thrones. Yeah. With the fireplace running constantly, chain-smoking cigarettes, with a bottle of Jack Daniels just upside down in my mouth. Oh, because you're, s- you're also cold? You have the chills? Yeah. Oh, okay. Which is weird. Most people get hot. Mm-hmm. But I'm a weird, I also eat a lot, of course, when I'm kicking, you know? <laughs> Everybody else like loses weight It's gets skinny. I like eat my face off while I'm kicking heroin. It's so dumb. I'm like, do you think at least I can lose weight? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs>
0: just destroying food Oh <gasps> my, at my friend's house. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got a question though. I, I am too. Keep the questions coming. Keep the questions coming, you guys. You could either DM the Chasing Heroin Instagram or my personal Instagram, Shameen Coulter, That's the best way to get to us. So, yeah. Great question. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so what we wanted to talk about today is a little bit piggybacking off of Tommy's episode last week. And I wanted to get to this while he was here, but I'm also a little bit cognizant of, like, the time that Mm -hmm. we take. Um, I can get long-winded, as those of you that know me know. And I want to try to not do that with this show. So... The episode with Tommy was going great. I really wanted to ask him about this. He and I had talked about it off air, but then we were kind of like running long on time and I was trying to be aware of that. But what I wanted to share was after he wrecked his truck and he he ended up back at Choices, which I was there. But before that, so end of August, beginning September, before he had relapsed, if you guys remember episode two, I was talking about getting arrested and released. About two weeks after I was released is the incident I'm talking about where I begged my mom to pay for me to go to detox. Mm-hmm. And my ex was supposed to pay her back. So I went into detox. And after 12 days of being in detox, I was so sick still. After and is 12 that days. pretty
2: uncommon? I mean, I thought
0: so. <laughs> you know, it seems like... It seems like a really long time. It feels
2: so horrible.
0: Yeah, probably not. If you talk to another heroin addict, okay. they might say like that that was pretty normal. But like, I thought it was too long at yeah. that time. And I thought, I can't take this anymore. It was day 12. I had been off the subs for you know however long. And this was the worst kick of my entire life. Mm-hmm. The 24 hours before I got on the subs, I was like hallucinating sick mm. at the Little House Foundation that we were talking about. Literally hallucinating. And got on the subs, felt great on the subs. And then when you get off the subs, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And I was way, way, way sick. And they had taken me out of detox and brought me to one of the houses.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, I, and once you're at the house, you go to the center every day for, like, groups and stuff like that. But I was so sick this day, I asked. The house manager, I knew because I'd been there before, and he was my friend. We got along. Mm-hmm. And I asked him if I could stay back, which he let me. So they called into the office and said, like, I wouldn't be on the van that day. I think they call it a lay-in. I was taking a lay-in for the day, and you're supposed to just like hang out at the house, mm-hmm. and which is not that bad of a scenario. There's like Netflix and cereal, yeah. and I could have just been sitting around eating. And I was so 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 sick. I thought I just need to get well mm-hmm. and come back, mm-hmm. and maybe they'll let me come back, which was a, a huge risk because they didn't usually do that.
2: Yeah. So I kind and just of just to um, I don't know a better word than qualify, but just to when you say
0: get well, yes. it's not what. Maybe non addicts think it sure. get okay. well. Okay, so get well means to do a shot of heroin. Got it. So that I'm no longer sick.
2: I'm learning that now.
0: But okay, no, that's actually a really good question. You're <laughs> yeah. right because somebody would be like, "Oh, she was on her the path to wellness." <laughs> no,
2: not that. I was kind on the path. path to a shot <laughs>
0: yeah. in my arm. So I needed to go get well, get high, not high. You get to this awful point as a heroin addict where you're not getting high anymore. You're just getting well. You feel not deathly ill. So I just wanted to go feel not deathly ill. And how easy is it to come up on finding it? I mean, it should have So this whole thing was like kind of a nightmare day. It should have been easier. I'd only been gone for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I should have been able to call somebody like that day. But this day in particular was almost impossible for me to find anything after mm-hmm. I left. Like all of my usual sources, and I must have had five or six connects at the time. Yeah. I mean, I had just been on the street using. I'd only gone like three weeks. Um, Nobody had anything, so I actually didn't even end up getting well until like six or seven at night. So I left at ten or eleven in the morning, and was walking around all day calling friends of mine. A friend of mine came and picked me up, Mm -hmm. and um, he actually had meth, but he didn't have any heroin. And that won't help. No. Okay. I mean, I did it anyway, but (laughs) (laughs) I did some. Forgive
2: my ignorance.
0: I did some. (laughs) Okay. It helps a little because you're because you're loaded. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that is so much more natural for mm-hmm. such a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was with my buddy in his car, smoking cigarettes smoking mouth pipe, and that was way more natural than being in that house trying to be a regular person again. Mm-hmm. You know, I to this day it's so funny. After all this time, after five and a half years, I still almost I still feel like being homeless and like running around on the street and taking a bus. Mm-hmm. That still feels more natural. to Wow. Me still Mm -hmm. than having a car like sometimes when i'm driving around what kind of blows my mind the most is the car that has the bluetooth Mm -hmm. so i can just like be on the phone or listening to music Mm -hmm. that still feels so like it shouldn't even be mine wow still i remember walking around with my my big bag Mm -hmm. and that feels more natural this feels like a dream still. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And I don't know oh, that wow. other people feel that way. I think that most other people don't feel that way, actually. Mm. I, I think that that's a little bit unusual. I think most people get to the point where they forget that that ever happened. Mm. And I have not. That yeah. still feels more like my life. It almost feels like a dream that I would even know someone like you that's like a therapist mm. and you work out here and we're friends. Like, mm. you know. Do you feel like it keeps you humble or keeps you scared almost? Probably both. Yeah. But but I, I'm actually really grateful for that feeling mm-hmm. because I remember my sponsor telling me at around two or three years, I remember her telling me, it's going to start to feel... It's going to be easier and easier to forget.
2: Mm.
0: I remember her telling me that, and a lot of people feel that way, and I do not feel that way. I have not forgotten any of that. Yeah. No. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it might also be, as you know, I have a diadetic and a photographic memory, just like physically, mm-hmm. you know. And so I don't know if it's because I... I actually remember conversations. I actually remember. Mm -hmm. I can see where I was sitting in my friend's car when he picked me up. I was sitting in the back seat, but like in the middle. Mm -hmm. Panicking, because I had left, Mm -hmm. but couldn't find anyone. Waiting for people to text me back. Yeah. And meanwhile, my ex, he was the first person I had called. Mm -hmm. So he was telling everybody, don't give her anything. Make her go back. Which I learned later. Really? Yeah.
2: Was he clean then at the time?
0: Yeah. Well, no, okay. So he had, we both, if you guys remember, We had both gotten arrested together at the mall that day. Mm -hmm. They let me out after three days. They did not let him out. They kept him in for like three weeks or something. Okay. So I kept using while he was in jail. Mm -hmm. He kicked in jail. He got really sick in jail. Oh, yeah. I remember that. So when he got out, he was no longer strung out, but he wasn't like a guy in recovery. Mm -hmm. He was just physically no longer strung out. In fact, the first thing he did was we got high together. His parents had bought him a plane ticket for literally the next day Wow! to go back to the East Coast mm-hmm. to go get out of California. And actually part of his deal with the DA was that he would leave. Mm. The DA asked him to leave because there were some other charges they could have brought against him. Okay. And they said, if you leave the state of California, we won't charge you. So um, anyways, he had left the next day mm-hmm. and so he might have still been so now this is 12 days after he had left town literally on the way to the airport this i I feel like this has probably gotten a little confusing but so i was homeless and by myself for three weeks which actually comes up later in this particular story that we're talking about today i was homeless for three weeks by myself which i hadn't done before he got out of jail his parents offered to buy both him and me a plane ticket to the east coast Mm -hmm. and i didn't want to go kick in their house because i was still strung out yeah So I told him I want to go kick at choices first and then I will join you. Mm-hmm. So that was how we got to the place where my mom was paying for detox. He was supposed to pay her back. After 30 days, I was supposed to fly to where his parents lived. That was the plan. So you're 12 days in. 12 days and in. Then you're that like, plan, Never mind. And I thought, never mind. And is I your left. plan,
2: never mind, I'm going
0: to go get well and come back? Yes. Or is your plan, F it? No, I'm gonna my, go. my plan got was it. absolutely that I was going to go back. And in fact, I actually had to stop by the office at Choices First mm-hmm. because I had a check there. Mm-hmm. This is another mm-hmm. insane story. Have I ever told you about that night that I got hit by the DUI? And driver and he took off and I had to chase him. So that's a whole other... I was sober in that scenario. This was a long time ago. I got hit by a drunk driver in San Diego right after I first moved here. Uh And the guy took off.
1: Were you in a car?
0: Yeah, I was in a car. This is when I first moved here. This is Mm where I was doing heroin or anything. This is when I left L.A. Mm -hmm. I'd only lived here for like a few months and I borrowed my mom's car to go to um, pay my phone bill Uh (laughs) on the way back to her house this guy smashed into my car my mom's car Mm -hmm. and took off so i was chasing him through the streets of oceanside on the phone with 911 and i must have sounded like such a tool because i watched a lot of law and order as so i was like i'm heading westbound on the 76 you need to get some black and whites out here fast i said that Douche canoe, as Lauren would say, what a douche! I said that. I said you need to get some black. Like I'm Olivia fucking Benson from SPO. So they're like, ma'am, you need to pull over.
2: It's funny because you know I see
0: how stuff comes through dispatch now. Yeah, so I was a crazy person. (laughs) But now see stuff update and you're like what are they talking about? But I was a regular, I was not right. like,
2: I was, I was not loaded like, in this moment. I yeah. was
0: like a civilian. I was a regular person. I was a full citizen Really, like a real <laughs> hole driving around requesting flag and lights for backup. <laughs> Dumbass. So anyways, that's a whole other story. But as a result of that story, um, I got a check from the guy mm-hmm. for five years for 50 bucks a month for five years. <laughs> It's like nothing. Now. I know, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, but there was many months when I was using when that 50 bucks. Oh, I I'm really sure. It. Yeah. So, I had one of those checks that hit my mom's house while I was homeless and she gave it to the office when I went to Joyce's and nice. I knew that check was there. So, I uh the house manager was in his room on the computer and I like tiptoed behind him with my bag. Mm-hmm. Walked down the hill and Vista to the Choices office. And I told them I was leaving and coming back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you can't just, like, make that decision. And I'm sure they didn't think that I would come back. Yeah. But my intention was to get well and come back. I was like, I'm too sick.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I got my check, cashed my check at the liquor store across the street, mm-hmm. called my ex who was in on the East Coast and said, I escaped. I, I, I'm too sick. And he was like, you need to go back. You need to go back. And then proceeded to call all of our connects and tell them don't help me, mm-hmm. which I found out later. So, I they sp- no
2: listen to that though?
0: They aren't like, "Oh, I want to make money." Well, no, not all of them. Yeah, yeah. One of them ended up helping me, but I had to promise not to tell my ex. Yeah. Also, the drug world is very misogynist. Okay. It doesn't matter what I say. Yeah. It matters what he says. I'm just like the bitch girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So he was an idiot. I ran all of our hustles. The only reason we ever had any money was because of me, Mm -hmm. not him. But people would give him the dope, not me. Yeah. If he said something about, you know, like, I look back now and I can tell there were so many times when we were involved in things and he would tell me some insane lie that I believed at the time. And Mm -hmm. looking back, many of our friends were, like, helping him and then Mm -hmm. they would all support this lie, like that something had been lost, like dope had been lost or he had lost something. Mm -hmm. And they obviously had just done something together and they were like lying to me all the time. Okay.
2: Was there a thought though, like if I go to get well, I start over again or do you not start over again?
0: What do you mean, time wise? Not sobriety time wise, but like thinking again. Or you I didn't know I didn't care. Yeah, I didn't care. And in fact when I came back Two of the guys there said that. They were like, now you got to start all over. And I was like, I don't know, man, I guess. I was dog sick, though. This don't feel any different. You know? Yeah. And in theory, I think that if you relapse, it starts you over. Mm -hmm. But I kind of didn't care. I was so sick, I didn't really care. But anyways, before I came back, so long story short the details of that day like don't really matter i was i was calling like i called my ex from a pay phone that was also why it was so hard for me to get any dope that day too i was relying on i did have one friend come pick me up and i was driving around with him in his car and i must have been using his phone to try to connect with people okay so anyways i finally did i finally did get some heroin i got well and i physically felt better but very, very scared. Mm-hmm. I knew I had made a mistake. And what, well, so, so I knew I'd made a mistake in leaving. And now I was alone, because the guy I was driving around with like, went home. And I was by a 7-Eleven in Oceanside. And this is where our guest from last week, Tommy, comes in. And like I said, I'd wanted to ask him about this while he was here, but we didn't have time. I called Tommy, actually, who Mm -hmm. lived, like, right around the corner from where I was, who was clean. He had, like, 60 days. Mm -hmm. This is shortly before he wrecked his truck. He actually came and picked me up. He brought me back to his house. And we, like, watched a movie or something. And I remember him saying that night, just please don't steal anything Mm -hmm. because I've got a roommate. Don't steal any of my roommate stuff. And I would appreciate it if you didn't get loaded in the house. Mm Mm-hmm and you know he let me stay there overnight and also we had a long conversation where he was encouraging me to go back to choices Mm -hmm. to go back to go back I think too and this is what I wanted to ask him I think he must have called Steve the next day too Mm -hmm. because there's no way they never let people back in like they were really strict Mm -hmm. and it was insane that I thought I could leave and come back like admit to using and come back there's no way yeah and they were really strict it sounds like all rationalities out the window though. Do you of know what course, I mean? Like that course. idea of
2: I'm going to go get well, but I plan back. to come back. Yeah. And they're going to let me do again. this. <laughs> yeah.
0: And they're going to let me come back. Mm-hmm. So Tommy had convinced me to go back. So in the morning I left and I had decided I was going to lie when I went back and tell them that I had not used, that I hadn't found anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I have a way to pass a drug test.
1: Mm -hmm. that I don't
0: really want to reveal the details of because I told a friend once how to do this Mm -hmm. and she stayed loaded for like another three or four years. I always felt really guilty about it because I knew she was using the system I gave her. So I'm not going to reveal the details of it right now, but I can pass your drug test to rest (laughs) me. So I knew I could pass the drug test and I was going to say that I hadn't managed to get anything and I knew that they would test me immediately. And by daylight, I realized that I had made a big mistake and shouldn't have left. But I also didn't want to violate Tommy's trust. And I really appreciated that he had let me stay there. So I got up at like 6 in the morning and I left. And the Sprinter Station over there. So there's a Sprinter Station. And kind of where he was living at the time. And like this big massive field. Mm -hmm. And I walked out into the field. To get loaded. And all the houses were behind me. Mm -hmm. So I got in front of a tree. And stuck my legs out straight. So that if you were walking by, you just only saw the tree mm-hmm. and not me. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. Oh, sorry. As, really quickly. The sprinter is a train here. The sprinter Diego. is a train yeah. here. <laughs> yes. As I'm telling you this story, I'm thinking, I, I don't know how how brilliant this plan was. Because I'm looking at myself in the mirror in the spin studio. And like, I mean, I'm kind of small, but it must have been a big tree. <laughs> I don't remember. So anyways, I stick my feet out in front of me. Stick my legs out in front of me. And this is the other thing that makes it probably not viable. I was hitting with my knee crossed, Mm
1: -hmm. my ankle.
0: So you probably could have seen me. So anyways, and describing this, I don't love describing this, but I think it's important. Basically, it's clear I was doing a shot. I had, like, a belt around my leg, and the belt was through my teeth, and I was trying to, like, hit my ankle right there outside in Mm -hmm. daylight. But I'm behind the tree, so I'm feeling, like, relatively safe. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I hear, like, needle in, in my leg. I hear, oh (laughs) and I realized the sprinter was coming and I was right in front of train tracks. So I look up with like the belt in my mouth and like needle in my hand as the train like starts going by. And of course the people on that side of the train were, you know, looking out the window like you do. And I was like, Making eye contact,
2: right? So you were you were protected from the
0: people behind you, but not yes. from the train that was no, passing. No, of course you. not. It was yeah. like right. I mean, it's actually not that close. It's it's a solid fifteen feet away. But I mean, That's I was looking. Close. At, <laughs> I was looking at people. They could definitely definitely see that there was a drug addict in this field at six in the morning. Yeah. And I was like, come on. So I finished doing what I was doing, got up and got out of there because I figured somebody had called the cops. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. So I left and I don't remember what I did. I like skittled around a little and then I finally hopped the Sprinter and went -hmm. back to choices sometime in the afternoon. And got back to choices, and I remember the intake coordinator, the guy that ran it all, the one that told me I couldn't be on Suboxone the first time I was there, which was a separate time from what we're talking about. He sat me down, and as I said these words to him, I realized that they were true. He was like, why would I let you back? You left. Mm -hmm. And I continued with my lie. Well, first of all, I didn't actually get loaded. I tried, but I didn't. You know, Mm -hmm. I was lying. Oh, I still had some heroin on me, by the way, in my pocket. That's important. (laughs) And I said I tried, but I didn't. And I was like, here's why. And I got so earnest in this moment. I realized once I had gotten there, because this, this time I'd been homeless for a while, two, three weeks by myself. But prior to that, my ex and I had been homeless for a long time. Yeah. And I realized one of my first few nights in detox, maybe once I was on the subs and wasn't really sick, that I had been in constant... Fear for so long. Mm -hmm. And when I was in that detox, I was like going to sleep and waking up like not in fear. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Okay. So we, we took a slight pause. I just wanted to know kind of what, what's coming up for. I turned the phone off because I started crying, which is weird. (laughs) Yeah. What happened? What came up?
0: can edit this later and make it shorter you're totally fine take your time um just remembering how so around one of the things that we were doing when we were homeless was we were staying in this house an abandoned house by the beach
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and um we stayed there for several weeks I think they were tearing it down, actually, and that we were like squatting in this home. Out, everything was torn out, like mm-hmm. the toilets were like ripped down the floor. There was no power, and we were staying there for a few weeks, right before we got arrested at the mall. This is one of the last places that we were staying, and I knew enough about the law to know that if you're in a residence that could be inhabited, mm-hmm. it's residential burglary. That's a strike. Mm-hmm. It's prison time. So usually. And I knew that. So even though nobody and my, you know, I don't want to keep calling him an idiot. I shouldn't keep calling him an idiot. But my ex, like, didn't know that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And he would argue with me that it was fine. Nobody lived there. It was breaking and entering. But I know the law. Mm -hmm. And that's not breaking and entering. That it's not home invasion, but it's residential burglary, which is a step shy of home invasion. And now you're talking about serious charges. Yeah. Life-changing charges. And I knew that. And we would lay in this house with no electricity me Mm -hmm. and I know people tend to think of a drug addict as maybe gone, vacant, unaware Mm -hmm. but but we're not usually, I was fully aware of my situation Mm -hmm. so I would lay there and I would just have tears like streaming down my face because I was waiting any second for the police to show up and give me a residential burglary charge also I was always terrified about kicking in jail that was my primary fear as I moved through the world back then Mm -hmm. was I mean getting arrested because I didn't really want to get arrested but more than getting arrested and having the charge because I'd been to jail before it's not that bad was kicking in jail that is bad Mm -hmm. being sick down there so when I was in detox what's wrong okay this is hard to talk about. It's usually not though. Usually, I can just tell stories.
2: Um, I think sometimes though, it's more than like a story. You're like putting yourself back in that situation. Yeah, right now or like, it feels like it can be traumatizing because sometimes if we're just like telling the story, it right. feels like it's coming because you have a really good memory. It feels like it's just coming from that memory. But now there's also what happens is like we, we're feeling like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in it again. And that's yeah. so terrifying. Yeah.
0: It's, it, it's mostly the relief, too. It's weird. I can talk about the fear. Like I remember laying there, tears running down my face, but not actively crying. I was just silently staring at the ceiling. We had those, um, you know, those. This is such a tweakery thing. You know, those camping blankets, the like. Tarpy type ones? Yes. Mm-hmm. That are like reflective on one side oh. like space blankets yeah <laughs> somehow we had space blankets mm-hmm. in this squatter house mm-hmm. so i was laying on the floor with a space blanket yeah like full-on tweaker squatting homeless person mm-hmm. so i'm laying there with my space blanket with my head on a throw pillow and um tears would just be running down my face because i was like oh my god how am i here because mm-hmm. it's still me in there you know yeah. it's still me i still have the same parents and you know brother and Dreams. Mm-hmm. And when I got to, and I realized when Kim asked me in that little room, why should I bring you back?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just started talking and I was used, to, I was prepared to use some bullshit, like mm-hmm. my whole lie I hadn't used thing. But what I said about this, this was real. I told him, I said, when I was using, I was so, so scared. And for the 12 days that I was here, I wasn't scared mm. for like the first time in a really long time.
2: Yeah. And when you say you weren't scared while you were there, do you mean scared of not getting arrested, emotionally scared, physically scared, all of those things? All of that.
0: Yeah. I felt completely safe. I also knew the facility. Mm -hmm. This is another thing I feel really lucky about. Um, The first time I went to detox, it was a little bit scarier. I didn't know that place. Mm -hmm. The second time, going back to this place, I was very happy to be there. I think that's why Tommy and I speak about it with such reverence. Mm -hmm. And anyone listening to this... I caught myself when I was listening to the last episode. I was like, oh my God, we're kind of going on and on about this guy that no one knows. You know what I mean? Like I should, I should rein that in a little the next time we bring it up and talk about it because people don't know this guy. But I'm, as I'm speaking now, I'm realizing that, you know, having that guy there and all the staff, I still knew, like even that person I snuck past, that was like my friend from the last time he was, you know, he was a great guy. Yeah. And they were all still there when I went back and I knew the house. It was a nice, easy place to be. Mm-hmm. And so I felt very, I mean, I was in some physical pain, obviously. That's why I left. But totally safe and taken care of. Yeah. Yes.
2: Safety, which does an amazing thing for, I mean, that's what I guess. therapy is. Is that what out, it is? It's like creating a safe space for somebody. But you also, besides like the emotional safety of knowing these people and knowing kind of how they supported you and, there's also this piece about like giving up, giving up, but you were, you knew where you were getting your next meal from, like all
0: of that kind of stuff does a number on people. Yes. And I had for the first time that time Mm -hmm. in the, in the two to three weeks period that I was homeless alone, there was a moment where so I had that charge hanging over my head. I didn't know. They said I had a, they had a year to press charges. Now, you and I know seven years later that never happened. Of course, Janine then didn't know. Of course. And I was by myself. I'd gotten my bike back from the bushes, cruising around by myself. And I remember standing outside of a 7-Eleven in Oceanside. Mm-hmm. And I used to go into grocery stores and steal, like, packets of M&Ms when I was hungry. Mm-hmm. And I was really scared to do it, though. Because if I got caught again when I had just been released, they were definitely gonna charge me with that robbery. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had this moment where I was like, I am a, I'm a homeless person who's like hungry. Mm-hmm. Like I actually just want food. I'm not even trying to get cash. Yeah. Like, you know, people that you see on the side of the road, like hungry, need help. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can see myself standing there in that moment mm-hmm. and being so afraid and, and actually physically hungry. And so when I got, it's not that big of a deal. It is. It is a big deal. (laughs) I guess. But so when I got to choices, all of that was gone.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I remember when I said that to Kim, I said, who, who by the way thought I was pretty full of shit mm-hmm. the manager of that program yeah. was not my not biggest fan Kim, other Kim no <laughs> the guy um was not my biggest fan and he was charged with like deciding whether or not I should get to come back mm-hmm. probably not <laughs> I'm grabbing like a sanitizing wipe in my studio as a tissue I don't know if this is ideal or not. That's probably, not. It's probably not like wiping my eyeballs with whatever this is, <laughs> Clorox. Anyways, when I told him that, I remember he just stopped and he went, wow. And he let me back in, probably because I said that. I don't think they were going to. Mm-hmm. And then they tested me and I passed the drug test, but then they searched me and they found the heroin. <laughs> and they were like, come on. Yeah. And, I, and I held to my story of, I didn't use I found it but I felt guilty I didn't want to use mm-hmm. which which right there is problematic because when I re-entered on a lie so I had to have a, a, a false clean date and you take chips at meetings at the center oh, wow. okay. so that I, I can recognize now that that was like a real problem mm-hmm. because then I had to lie about my date but I figured it was only like You know it'd be a week or so off or 12 13 days off Mm -hmm. and that everybody would forget by the time i had like six months exactly when that was was my thinking at the time okay so anyways but that in and of itself is problematic so they actually let me back in um which is shocking they let me back in which is crazy but they did Um, so here's why this is the story that i wanted to share in that moment and i think perhaps maybe i'm getting emotional right now Mm -hmm. when that train went by For one thing, I felt like, oh my God, duh, you should've seen the train tracks. Mm -hmm. But like the deeper level of that, that was a pretty humiliating moment in my life. Mm -hmm. Like literally sitting there like belt in my teeth, Mm -hmm. you know, when people drive by. Tommy showed up a few weeks later, he had just wrecked his truck and died. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because, again, my main message is that so much can change and you are never done. Two weeks ago, I hosted him in the studio that I own with Mm -hmm. my husband, who is amazing. I eventually got married to a great guy that everybody adores. We own the studio. I have a podcast where I help others. And I was able to bring Tommy in, and we were able to sit down several years later. And all of that, if you had told me that day behind the tree when the train went by, don't sweat it. Seven years from now, you're going to own a studio, you have a podcast that's doing pretty well with a friend who's a therapist, because you know people that are therapists now, (laughs) and they like you, I wouldn't have believed that, and I would have loved to have known something like that back then. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I want to share about this story. So also for you, the listener, especially somebody that is still actively using, and also someone that has a relative or somebody close to you that's using, but the addict in particular, whatever dream lives inside you, I know what it's like to feel like that is that is that that is dead, that that is done, that you have crossed some invisible line where those original dreams are not available to you anymore. I actually have a friend that just popped into my mind, a good friend of mine. He wanted to be a professional soccer player. And at like 19, 20, 21, he got... Strung out on meth or heroin, but he ended up here at that rehab that my husband went to. Mm -hmm. And we met at meetings, and he was talking about trying to, like, go pro again Mm -hmm. as an American, like, in the pro football circuit. And I remember thinking, like, I I don't know about that. He now tours on an amazing team in Spain and Madrid. Actually, I should probably try to get him at some point. Yeah. But he totally, fully realized his dream at, like, 23, 24, which I know is in the scope of things young, but for a professional athletic career, Mm -hmm. that's later. And I know that that's kind of a one in a million case, but he had to work really hard for that. I mean, he lost everything. He was dismissed, like, from the league for a dirty test, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But, or again, in my case, you know, I had burned a lot of bridges in this area. And I remember this moment once my dad had come to visit me at a rehab, and we were, we'd, like, gone on a little walk, like, he was allowed to take me on a pass, And I remember telling him, yeah, well, I think maybe when I get out of here, I was in that residential, the long one in Oceanside, the Mm -hmm. one for women and children. I remember telling him, yeah, when I get out of here, maybe I want to do something with fitness and recovery and, you know, maybe do yoga classes in rehabs or do something like that. And I remember, and he was just like listening and nodding. You know, my parents have always been, you know, they they don't like dismiss me or anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he was actually thinking. He was nodding. But I felt like as I the words were leaving my mouth, I was like, what are you saying right yeah. now? You are a homeless 34-year-old. You don't live anywhere. Mm-hmm. If you leave that welfare program up the street, you have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You don't have a driver's license. You're not going to start a fitness program for recovery. What are you talking about? And I felt so stupid sharing that dream out loud. Yeah. But... I ended up, I have a fitness program for recovery. Exactly. Yeah. Like, chasing heroin has yoga on it. I need to to develop it more, but the reason I haven't developed it more is not because I'm using it. It's because I own this other studio Mm -hmm. that takes up all of my time, but I'm still doing fitness and I talk about recovery things here. Mm -hmm. It fucking happened. I know. And I felt so dumb saying it. And it actually didn't even take that long. Okay, so the moment that I'm talking about right now, you guys know I'm crazy with dates. That was actually in October of 2014. In January of 2015, I interviewed here at the studio that I now own. Now, it was years before I owned it, but I was in the path. I was on the path to a fully realized dream within a few months of that moment where I just felt so... it. I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I was just embarrassed. I was like, listen to you talking. You are such a loser. Mm. You're, how are you going to do any of that? How? How are you going to get somewhere? You don't have any credit. How are you going to do anything? Why would anybody listen to you? So, yeah. so that's the main... That's why I want to share this story in particular, sitting behind that tree. hmm so now.
2: Yeah, something else you said when you were sitting behind that tree, or in front of, depending on... Right, I guess depending on your vantage point, point. If you're one of those
0: poor souls on the <laughs> sprinter, you're looking right at me.
2: Something you said really struck me. You, you said, you know, I was still the, a person with parents and a brother, and you kind of trailed off, and you said, and and dreams. Do you feel like the dreams you had for your future and the awareness of your current situation was motivating or shaming or something entirely different or like a combination
0: it wasn't motivating probably Mm -hmm. because i was pretty sure that i was never going to be able to stay clean Mm -hmm. so i was very sad about in fact i shared this i was on alia's podcast last week and i shared this with her and i don't think i've shared this here yet i love teaching I love teaching spin. I love teaching spin more than anything in this world. And when I was using one of the saddest things to me, in addition to the impact that it had on my my mom, my brother, my dad, and then those three long-term friends of mine growing up from high school, that was really, really sad. I couldn't even spend any time thinking about that stuff. But also the realization that I wasn't... I wasn't teaching mm-hmm. and that I probably wouldn't ever teach again. And I would get on people's phones. I think I told you this and go on like Craigslist mm-hmm. and see if people were hiring teachers and like look at the studio and think like, man, I could do that job, Yeah, but I can't do that job mm-hmm. because I can't quit using drugs. So I don't know that it would, it, I probably wouldn't describe it as motivating. It was helpful to have something I enjoyed doing in early sobriety days. Mm-hmm. And as we discussed, I think in the first episode Mm -hmm. i felt very fulfilled through realizing teaching again early on and i think that helped me stay sober but i had done that before you know we're talking all those years that i was homeless every time i got clean and sober i would get another teaching job and it would help me feel fulfilled and it probably bought me a little time each time right but i don't know that it was motivating if anything it kind of made me sad yeah and i knew i wanted to get back to it but it did not feel realistic and and that was a progression too like the first time I was at that rehab, I think I probably thought, well, I'll get a job again, no problem. By the time we're talking about now, I no longer felt that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I felt like maybe it's just, I could get a job, but it's a matter of time before I'll just I lose it. back. Mm-hmm. I'll just lose it. I'll just lose it. So, I don't know. So, I, I guess, again, that's, that's kind of a, so much of this is gray.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... Kim and I were talking about this like we keep this is the third time we've tried to finish this episode mm-hmm. and I felt it is it's the most I keep using the word jumbled I don't know that it's jumbled I find myself searching for answers and I think that a lot of this is very gray mm-hmm. a lot of addiction is very gray and one of the people that taught me that was Steve not Steve from choices but the other Steve who you've met mm-hmm. my friend from the the other sober living he, he was much more forgiving then choice, choices would kick you out once and that was it. Mm-hmm. That's why it was so unusual that they let me back. The other Steve, that's why he continued to let me back because he understood that addiction was gray. Mm-hmm. And it's, not, it's often not linear. Progress is often not linear, but you can sort of accumulate lessons and knowledge over time. Also, I'm so grateful for my mother mm-hmm. because she continued to manage to get me into detoxes until I could hear a message of recovery that sunk in. Yeah. But it took a while. So again, all this stuff, you know, so the dreams weren't necessarily motivating when I was sitting behind that tree, if anything, it made me sadder, mm-hmm. but they were fulfilling when I got here again, it made me feel good about myself. That was my primary source of self-esteem. Right. Something that you're good
2: at and mm-hmm. you had been yeah. doing that in the past.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the more I was teaching and the longer I stayed and had clients, you know, the better that I felt about myself. But I will say I went back that day. Mm-hmm. I obviously didn't feel completely hopeless. I went back. So probably this last time, I felt zero hope, which is interesting because this is the time that I did it. But when I was at my friend's house in Palm Desert, I felt zero hope.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: None. But I was so tired and beat up that I was like, I can't do this another day. I can't use another day. But I had almost zero hope that I would actually get it together.
2: Yeah.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. So one of the things we want to make sure that we always get back to with the formatting of the show is what did either I or the guest learn from then that we are still applying now because I always want to pull it back and make it really positive and something that we can look back and say, yes, that story is really, really sad, but I don't want the listener to ever leave with the sadness Mm -hmm. because there is always something beneficial that came out of these awful moments. And this one in particular, so one of the things I learned was, again, the... And this one was a bit more subconscious. The power of the community in the recovery world. Mm -hmm. Because I had met actually these two guys that ended up becoming my good friends that time. Mm -hmm. And while I was gone, I'd only known them for... I'd been there for 12 days, but I'd only been out doing classes for about five days. Like out doing going to groups and stuff for about five days. Because I'd been in the detox first. Mm -hmm. They don't let you go they call it down the hill to the recovery center until you're off the suboxone. So I'd only known these guys for like five days, but when I was out running around, I was actually like thinking about them. They were really funny. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: They're the ones that when I got back were like, well, you shouldn't have done that dude. Now you got to start over. But I had a real connection with them just even in that brief time. And they were part of why I went back, even though I had just met them. Yeah. I also realized that it was better inside than outside. And I had been on the outside of recovery. and, And I also mean that literally it's better inside than outside (laughs) than like living outside. And I'd been living outside for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And just the 12 days of being back indoors, I really did want to go back. And I think I'd been gone for so long that I, it just, it snapped me back a little bit into reality. Cause we would get like hotel rooms from time to time, but I was still using the whole time, you know, but like to be sober and to be safe, something in me willed me to go back.
2: Definitely. It was like the, um, you were leaving to what was, Familiar, yes. Um, I really like to make the distinction when I'm working with people. There is such a difference between familiar and comfortable, but people use it interchangeably. Yeah, that's true. And it was familiar; it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't
0: comfortable, but it was familiar. Yeah, and so, you're right. But you can make that mistake pretty easily.
2: Oh yeah, people do it all the time. But I think that you were coming back to a place that that felt safe and probably offered comfort versus the familiarity that we all often go back to. Right, like totally different things. A totally addiction or whatever totally. it might be.
0: And that was an important distinction for me to make. Mm-hmm. And once again, if you're a family member or somebody listening, your addict that you're related to might like escape a detox and go back. I get that that's frustrating, mm-hmm. but they might've learned what I learned and they probably did. You know, yeah. many people have done this. Is not unique what I did, take off and go back. And then, you know, once again, God's grace had smiled on me, which I was aware of mm-hmm. in two ways. Tommy came and got me. He was a safe guy. He's never hurt me or tried to do anything. Mm-hmm. And he convinced me to go back. He also happened to be clean at that time because it could have been bad news bears Mm -hmm. if he was also using. And then I also, I do believe in crazy dreams now. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of that was gone. Like, so I was telling Kim earlier, there's, there's this like kind of giant media platform that I want this podcast to get picked up by. I have learned in my experience that is not outside the realm of possibility because God's grace has delivered me in divinely ordained correct directions Mm -hmm. many times since I've been living right and it is entirely possible that the right person will listen to this podcast and this will get on a massive platform and we can have my business is sort of open not open it's very very frustrating and I think that my story of recovery has helped me more during this quarantine than anything else in my life Mm -hmm. because I look back and i say man this was like faded dude i got here for a reason i don't think i'm gonna lose it now Mm -hmm. i don't i just don't it it was too and that's also why i'm committed to doing stuff like this though because i feel like the 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 responsibility is on me to say okay yeah you did get this platform so you better use it if you want to keep it okay so i think that that kind of wraps it up for this particular incident and it's interesting to me that that was so hard for me to get through. I, did, I didn't I did go into this thinking that that would be a challenging story for me to tell.
2: Yeah. At all. No.
0: I've I've way crazier stories in the tank.
2: I know, but I think something That one's a little
0: embarrassing, but... The, um... <laughs> yeah, I think... I don't know why that would be embarrassing. It's all pretty bad. But me sitting behind that tree, uh, the picture of that bugs me right now.
2: I think that's what it is. There's, like, a image piece to it, but also sure. the physical vulnerability of it puts
0: you in a space of feeling really vulnerable to share that you think because i was like out in the field like the physical vulnerability in that moment i'm feeling now
2: mm-hmm. i think yeah, that's, that's part interesting of it. yeah or like picturing yourself being so vulnerable there. i think it well
0: and so this is not a clinical world word
2: mm-hmm.
0: ratchet <laughs> what is the clinical word for ratchet because that was a ratchet ass move, okay? <laughs> to walk outside in public as an adult and use in public—it's pretty ratchet. What's the clinical world for that?
2: I don't even know. I, I'd have to think about it, but I think, like you said, there was so rationality is out the window sure. with all of these decisions, right? And like, you're of course, your quote, like, and right that's now. a
0: given. And that's <laughs> a given. That's a given. Yeah, but it was a ratchet move, dude. <laughs> I don't really love you know i don't know it was just hard for me to talk about but anyways well thank you for being vulnerable sure so yeah so guys uh we want to reiterate again any questions please send them our way i'm so glad that we got the conversation about getting into rehab and that we were able to have that conversation Mm -hmm. anything else let us know like we said earlier dm janine coulter or chasing heroin so that we can get those questions on the show and then I'd also like to introduce not necessarily a segment but a piece of this where we talk to either the guest or myself weekly about the role of fitness and recovery because people in recovery benefit so much from physical movement and it becomes a huge part of people's recovery journey Mm -hmm. and so I want to start and I'm going to start talking to my guests about that over time but I'll start with myself today if you... Are in early recovery even if you're sick man get moving sweat it out and I know it sounds so cliche but it's not just everybody knows about the endorphins so that physically your brain gets going and and you actually on a physiological level feel better but also doing something challenging in that moment that's good for you is really good for your self-esteem like one of the pillars of self-esteem is living in conscious alignment with things that you know to be good for you mm-hmm. like or the opposite of that right like i know this person is so bad for me but i'm gonna stay with them anyways yeah it
2: does a number on yourself.
0: self it does a number on your <laughs> self-esteem when you actively act out of alignment with your own best interests mm-hmm. it's a betrayal of yourself at a very deep subconscious level even on a small scale like the same message with a larger audience and i believe that now because it manifested in my life. So that's something, especially now, depending on when you're listening to this, we're still like half in quarantine, half not. I know that such and such doesn't make me feel good about myself eating this type of food, but I'm gonna do it anyways. Any decisions like that, that you know not to be in your best interest, really chip away at your self-esteem because you're betraying yourself. You're saying, yep, I know it's good for me, but I'm not worth doing it. And then conversely though, if you say, man, I know I should go out for a run or I should get some exercise and you follow through. Self-esteem is the reputation that you earn with yourself over time. And especially if you relapse a lot and you've let yourself down so many times, you get to a place where you can't count on yourself Mm -hmm. and that reputation is just gone. So getting out there and sweating, and we're going to get more into this as the show progresses, but I want to go ahead and introduce that concept. Fitness has been a massive part of my recovery. And also on my website, Chasing Heroin, I have, I think, five classes are up right now. I'm going to finish taking you guys through the steps as manifested through physical movement. Steps one through four are up there right now. So if you're not sure where to start, they're super gentle flows. They're restorative. It's not anything crazy. You're, you know, you might break a little bit of a sweat. The first one's a little tough. After that, they slow down a bit. Mm-hmm. You did them. I did. I, I, I would I would call the level like manageable...
2: Right, because I don't really do yoga. Right, and, and you were I, doing them. I could definitely do it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Too. So anyways, get a little movement in. Get some sweat in. Thank you guys so much for listening.
2: Yes, thank you so much. Keep the questions coming and the reviews and subscribe.
0: Yes, review and subscribe. Because the more reviews we get, Apple looks at that kind of stuff when they decide whether or not to start, like, popping your podcast up in, and, and like, a you may be interested in column. Mm-hmm. We're way far from that. But the only way we're going to get close to that is by asking you Mm -hmm. to – it takes like three seconds. I just wrote a review for The Skinny Confidential the other day, which is a podcast that I'm obsessed with. And it only took me a second. You just register. You can use a fake name and then write a review. So we would super appreciate that. And we will see you guys next time. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys.